We spend a lot of our life dealing with death. We spend a lot of time trying to avoid it, which is why we watch what we eat, or we exercise, or we take note on the news of what the latest thing is that's going to cause cancer. We spend a lot of time being entertained by it. I don't know if you've thought about this, but, but much of the media that we consume focuses on and is centered around death. Like, for example, the top podcast on iTunes right now and the top documentary on Netflix are both focused on murder. <laughs> Not only that, but eventually death happens. It happens to people that we love, people that we know. And when it does, as a country, we spend billions of dollars every year on flowers and funerals. My role as a pastor in so many ways is focused on the end of life. And not just in speaking peace to people while they're living about what will happen after we die, uh, but, but ushering people through that moment, uh, celebrating their life and God's promises once that moment has happened. I remember the first funeral I ever officiated was that of my father-in-law. A couple years later, I officiated a funeral of my cousin and her boyfriend who died in an accident. One of my parishioners lost her mother and her father and her sister in a car crash. Just this last year at St. Mark, the last 12 months, we've officiated 20 funerals. Not only that, but in the last year, we've been facing a pandemic where death has been looming over this world in a way that many of us have never experienced before. Uh, fear of death, trying to avoid it, is the reason we're wearing masks. It's the reason some of us are working from home. It's the reason kids have not been going to school. It's the, it's the reason you've missed birthday parties and anniversary celebrations. It's because death is quite literally in the air. We spend a lot of our living dealing with dying. And yet, despite all of that, all of that exposure to the reality of death, death remains for so many of us this, this confusing terrifying reality. Over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about the truth that death is, which I know nobody really wants to deal with, no one really wants to confront, but in order for us to, to live out our faith faithfully, we have to recognize that so much of what God promises has to deal with this reality that we don't want to deal with. And so we're going to speak the promises of God into the reality of death and my invitation throughout this series, starting today, is that, is that you would see death just a little bit differently. That rather than see it as something that is confusing or terrifying, but that your confusion and fear, if you're a follower of Jesus, might be mixed with deep trust and abiding peace because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Here's where I want to start. I want to start in God's Word, Psalm 90. Psalm 90. In fact, I would like you to read this with me, wherever you are. If you're watching online or you're here in the sanctuary, read these words with me, if you would. Lord, teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. You know, we all have things in life that we find really unpleasant, things we don't want to deal with, we don't want to confront, we don't want to do. So maybe for you, it's, it's cleaning the bathrooms at home or going to the dentist, or the idea of germs, or, or having to talk about finances. We all have stuff we don't want to deal with, and when there are things we don't want to deal with, a lot of times we'll do one of two things. We'll just outright avoid it, or we will obsess over it. We'll obsess over it thinking that if we give all our energy to it, we can somehow control it, and it won't be the bad thing that we think it is. 
or we ignore it, wrongly thinking that if we ignore it long enough, we'll never have to deal with it. And so as a result, you have people who wash their hands every 10 seconds and people who go to the dentist once every 10 years. There is a, a middle ground between obsessing and ignoring when it comes to death. Because death is one of those things, as we've said, nobody really wants to focus on, nobody really wants to deal with. And so people will obsess over it or they'll ignore it. But the scriptures call followers of Jesus to a middle ground. What the scriptures call us to do is to recognize our mortality and respect the reality of death. If you read through the scriptures, you get this constant invitation to recognize you are a mortal creature, meaning nobody gets out of this alive. To recognize that and then respect the fact that death happens. So what that means is people of faith who have a, a biblically informed view of all things, especially this thing, they are going to be aware of the fact that their days are numbered. Not in a morbid sense, but in a realistic sense. That's what the psalmist says, teach us to number our days. Help me to remember the fact that I am mortal. But also keep in mind that though I'm mindful of the fact that my days are limited, I also know that the number of my days is in God's hand. So while I should be realistic, my time here is limited. I don't need to be obsessed because it's in God's hand. And God has proven that he will be good to me. So it's wise for a person of faith to recognize their mortality to number their days and say, what does it mean for me to make the most of this one life that I've been given? What does it mean for me to furiously pursue the things that matter, truly matter to God and truly matter to me? I know I don't have all the time in the world. I've just got some time. So how am I a good steward with my time? So if you just go on averages, you know, I just turned 40. Um, based on averages, I've got maybe another 40 years left, Lord willing more or less. But well, let's just say, at the very least, I've got 30 years left, Lord willing. If I'm being wise, I'm mindful of the fact that my, my resources are, are ever limited with each day that I live. So if I've got at least 30 years left, um, let's see, that means I've got about, I did the math, like 219 million breaths left in my lungs. If I play 10 rounds of golf a year for the next 30 years, and I shoot par, <laughs> It means I've got about 21,000 swings left in me, but let's be honest, that'll get me through about six rounds of golf. It means that I've got, if I've got at least another 30 years, it means I've got 10,950 nights next to Lisa, which is far more than I deserve and far less than I want. People of faith are to be mindful of the fact that their days are numbered, but not obsessed with the fact that their days are numbered because they know the one who numbers our days. So it's God's job to number our days. It's our job to be as faithful and responsible with our days as we possibly can. Live urgently pursuing the things that truly matter. And trusting that in the end, whenever my end comes or your end comes, that God will be good. Now, that, that statement in of itself might kick up a question for you. Well, Matt, how do I know that God will be good to me in the very end? Because I've seen some of the ways in which people can end, and it doesn't seem very good. Perhaps you've walked with someone through death, and it was not just difficult that they were dying, but the manner in which they passed was terrible. 
Or, or perhaps you have fears about what will happen to you on the moment of your passing, and whether or not it'll be painful, whether or not it'll be horrible, whether or not it'll be traumatic for you. And, and obviously, I can't speak from personal experience about what that's like, because I'm here. But again, the Scriptures point us to promises specific, not just to death in general, but to the moment of our death. So so jump back to Psalm 116. We just read it. Psalm 116 says this, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Uh, This is one of those verses that whenever I am visiting someone who's near death, I bring this verse out. I also bring the 23rd Psalm, because 23rd Psalm verse 4 says this, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of what? Of death, I will fear no evil, for you are, say it, with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Let the truth and the implications of these words sink in when it comes to how you view your moment and manner of passing. God says in Psalm 116 that the death of his saints is precious to him. Now you might be thinking, no, I'm not a saint and my my spouse is not a saint, so what's that have to do with us? Oh, but you are. From a biblical perspective, all those who have faith in the forgiveness that's found in Jesus Christ are considered by God to be his holy ones. The Hebrew word is hagios, the holy ones of God. You're not a saint because you've been good. You're a saint because through faith in Jesus Christ, God the Father sees you as good. So he looks at you and he says, you're my saint. Oh, you are a screw-up, but you are more than that. You are my saint. You're my holy one. And the psalmist says that to God, when one of his holy ones passes, the moment of death, the moment of dying, it is precious to God. Not because he enjoys death, but because he knows that it is a, it is a difficult, traumatic, at the very least, sad moment for all involved, and because you are precious to him, that moment and what you're going through is precious to him. What are some of the things in life that are precious to you? Some of the moments in life that are precious to you. I've got two kids, both of which are growing up way too fast. A moment right now that's precious to me is my my six-year-old Jack. He, He still calls me daddy, which I love, And he still needs me to help with things, like grab the cereal box from the pantry or or kick his sister off the PlayStation so he can have a turn. He still needs my help, and he'll call, Dad, 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 Daddy, come here. And like my heart melts when I hear that. And and I try to, to be extra attentive in those moments, even though I'm easily annoyed and always busy. I try to be attentive when my kids call out for me because I know, I know that there's quickly going to be a moment where they don't call out for me much anymore where they don't need me, they need other people. So I try to soak up those precious moments where they're like, Dad, I need you. And so I get close and I get down in his level and I look at him eye to eye and I'm like, what do you need? And he's like, you need to ground Ava. (laughs) And I'm like, sure, what should we frame her for? And he's always got something. That same word that means precious can also be translated as treasure. It's the same word in Hebrew that's used to describe gold and diamonds. What do you do with things that you treasure? Like truly treasure. Do you let them out of your sight? No. If you have real treasures, you always know where they are, right? If possible, you always keep your eyes on the treasure. You have your hands on the treasure. You have your arms wrapped around the treasure. Here's God's promise to you. In the moment of death, 
a moment that is precious to him, that, that is a treasure to him. God is near you. His eyes are on you. He is looking at you. He's, he's holding you in his hands. His arms are wrapped around you. Precious treasure, like a father who's getting down on the level of his children to look them in the eyes because he knows that he's needed. Or like a pirate who's found his gold. He is grasping onto you in that moment. You will not, you will not, you will not be alone. No matter how difficult it is, how painful it is, whatever it is, God has promised to be with you. And I know some of you have lost people and you've you've wondered, what was it like for them? Uh, Whatever you saw with your eyes, here's what we know to be true in God's word. If they belong to Jesus Christ, God the Father was near, near and good. He was not far. John Preston is a famous Puritan preacher and When he was on his deathbed, he was asked by those gathered around if he was afraid. And his response was, I am not afraid. I will change my place, but I will not change my company. I will change where I am from from life to death, but I will not change my company, that which I'm surrounded by, the God who's been with me. Up till now, the God who's with me right now will be with me into the future. You will not be alone. He will be good to you, precious treasure. It's his promise. The other thing to keep in mind is, and this may seem obvious to you, but it's so easy for us to lose sight of, is that, is that death, God will be good to us in death, but, but death itself, though it is an end, is not the end. It is very easy for us to forget this. This end is no end at all. Maybe this is the first time you're ever hearing this, but, but God has designed humanity to be eternal. You are eternal, meaning that even though you die, you live forever. That's how humanity is designed. Now, his original design was that we would live eternally in both body and soul together as one, like we are right now. Uh, But then long story short, sin entered the picture, and now because of sin, there is a division. At the moment of death, there's a division between body and soul. The body goes to the ground, the soul then rests with Jesus. But the full promise of Christianity is that someday Jesus Christ will come back and he will reconnect every body with every soul. And then we will live eternally as it was to be in the beginning and is it, as it is now in flesh and blood, body and soul. But until that moment when Jesus comes back, when we die, our body goes to the earth, our soul then rests with Jesus Christ. And we will be with him forever as a spirit for now, And after that last day when he resurrects and reunites and recreates in flesh and blood and spirit. But you don't ever stop. You're a forever thing. Again, the Psalms are instructive in this. Psalm 23. Listen to what else David says. He says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord for how long? Forever. Not for like 20 minutes. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Dying lasts for a moment, but life, you, me, we last for eternity. 
Again, let the implications of this soak in. Here's what this means. There will come a moment, say 10,000 years from now, as the old hymn goes, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining like the sun, we've no less days to sing God praise than when we first begun. 10,000 years from now, your manner of death, whether it's horrible or peaceful, whether you, whether you go gently in your sleep or you fall screaming out of an airplane with no parachute, your manner of passing will be such a small blip in the rearview mirror of your eternal existence, you may even forget how it happened. Hard for us to wrap our minds around, but that's what the promise of eternity brings. You, you may reach a moment in eternity where you're standing around with your friends. You'd be like, Bob, was it cancer got you? No, that was me. You fell out, that's right, you fell out of the airplane. How did you die? Nobody knows. Let's go ask the big guy. He doesn't forget be, be realistic about death. It's going to happen. Number your days. Be a, as good of a steward as you can, this side of your passing as you possibly can. Trust that God is going to be good in that final moment. But also, whenever you think about death, wrestle with it in the context of forever, of eternity. And let that give you peace about what will happen, however it happens. Now, now, the other thing to keep in mind here, and this might seem like a strange point to you, but it's, it's an important one. As we view death as people of faith, we must view death understanding that Jesus Christ has made it safe for us to die. Jesus Christ has made it safe for us to die. I love being a husband and a father, but one of the things I may never get used to is the whole thing where it's like, if something scary is happening, dad's got to go first. I don't know if that's how it works in your house, but that is certainly how it works in my house. Like, Lisa and I will be woken up in the middle of the night with some crazy sound, and I'll roll over to her and be like, what was that? And she'll be like, I don't know. Go find out. I'm like, well, somebody's aware of the life insurance. Or like, not too long ago, she, she's... She tried this new recipe, and she, it just didn't look right to her. She didn't try it, but she lifted up a spoonful, and she handed it to me. She's like, here, check this out. See if it's okay. I'm like, all right. That's my job, I guess. Or, or way, way back in the day when my daughter was really little, and she was learning to swim, she was scared to jump into the water, right? And so what I did, we were on a boat. She was scared to jump off the side of the boat into this lake. We were all swimming in with a bunch of friends. And so I was not dressed for swimming, but I'm like, I got I to gotta prove to her that this is okay. Like, she can do this. And so I jumped into the water fully clothed. When there are people that you love who have to face something kind of frightening, sometimes love means going first and kind of sacrificing yourself to show them it's safe for you too. That's why we, we, we love Jesus so much. What we believe is that in his life, death, and resurrection, not only did he earn forgiveness for you and for me, like for everything, but he defeated death. He, a way to say it is he made death safe for all of us because he died and then he rose and then he gives this promise. It's like, if you belong to me, though you die, you will live. You will be on the other side of it. I died and I live to tell about it. And I'm promising you that if you have faith in me, if you're baptized into my name, if you trust me, if you're a member of my family, if you're one of my holy ones, though you die... You live. You'll come out on the other side of it. Okay. John chapter 10 says this. This is Jesus speaking. He says, My sheep hear my voice, 
and I know them, and they follow me. That's the key phrase, they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. The key there is follow me. We often think about following Jesus through everyday life, and certainly that's true, but where else do we follow Jesus? Into where he went first. We follow him into death. Why do you think after that phrase he says, I give them eternal life? Where was he about to go after John chapter 10? He's about to go to the cross. And he says, and they follow me. We follow him to a cross. We follow him into our own death. But what happened to Jesus will happen to you. He rose. He lived. We will live. One day we will rise. That's the promise. That's the promise. You may be mad at God for the fact that death even exists, and I get it, and I can't answer the question as to why, because even if I could give you a satisfactory answer as to why death is a part of this whole thing anyway, other than just being like sin, it would not be satisfying to you. Your follow-up question would be like, well, why though? Here's what I do know. Jesus doesn't ask you to experience anything that he hasn't been willing to experience himself. What more can you ask for? He went through death, and he came back to life. And he's promised that those who belong to him will experience the same. Now, if all of this is true, how should this shape our, our living? If all these things are true about our passing, our dying, how should this affect our living? Well, well I think it should affect our living in that we should, we should go through life, and as we encounter death in the lives of others, as we approach our own death, but even as we just we, we live with it and we talk about it and we think about it, we seek to demonstrate an attitude and a heart of trust toward God in the face of it. We seek to live in such a way that we demonstrate trust toward God in the face of death, however we are dealing with it. With whatever time you've got left on this earth, and I hope it's a ton of time, your job is to be as good of a steward with that time as possible, living in such a way that you give God glory and give love and grace and mercy to your neighbors. That's the call upon your life. Part of how you demonstrate trust in the face of death in that life is trusting death to God. And, and what I mean by that is Christians historically have had certain values when it comes to death. We, we, have, we have not been willing to impose death where life is trying to make its way known. What, what that means is, uh, for example, we, we have certain values in the face of life on the edges when life is trying to emerge in the beginning. We value that life. Um, even at the end of life, where, where someone is older, but perhaps death is not happening yet, we don't hasten death. At the end of life, we always value life because we know, we know that life is ours to live, death is in God's hands. So, so Christians, Christians demonstrate trust in God by saying, look, whenever we see life, we try to protect it and live it and encourage others to do the same and make the most of it because death is in God's hands, not ours. He's the one who's in control of our days. And so that drives us to have certain values around life and death. Not only that, but, but it drives us to want to make our own death, whenever that comes, a moment not just of mourning, but a moment of proclamation of what it is we believe. Insofar as you can influence it or control it, 
I encourage you to spread the word to those who might be taking care of you when that time comes, that when your time comes, you want it to be a celebration of what you believe, not just a mourning of what has been lost. And you should mourn, you should grieve, you should weep, and you should wail, because that recognizes the fact that things are not as they should be. Death should not be, and Christ is going to fix it in the end. So weep, wail, and grieve, but season your grief with trust that God is going to ultimately make this better, and the person you've lost rest with him. I, I've, I've asked Lisa, I've said, you know, when my time comes, if you, if you are taking care of me, if I'm the one who goes first, when my time comes, if we have the ability, if it's arranged in such a way that, that you can be at my bedside and read the word to me, do that. And at my funeral, uh, gather people up and don't just tell stories about how awesome I was. I mean, tell the stories. but proclaim the promises even more. And, and, and allow my passing to be a moment where I and my people can lean upon the promises of Jesus. Let it be a declaration of trust in the face of death. My hope for you today is that, is that you might leave when it comes to your attitude and your encounters with death, however it manifests itself around you, that, that you would be on a mission to view it not just in light of, of what you don't know, because God's going to be good to you no matter what. Not just in light of how painful it might be. Jesus is going to see you through it no matter what. Not just in light of the fact that you can't control it. God, it's in God's hands and God is good. But you might, you might see your life as the opportunity uh, to be a declaration of trust in the face of the scariest thing in the world. That you would view it and speak of it and deal with it in light of what you do know, that God has you in his hands, that he's going to be good to you, that he's going to see you through it, and that there is life forever in Jesus Christ. And let that season every encounter with it that you possibly have. And I'll tell you what, in a world that is obsessed with death and afraid of death, doesn't know what to do with death, your willingness to say, yes, I grieve it, I mourn it, I'm a bit afraid of it too, but ultimately I trust the goodness of God and the resurrection of Jesus Christ in the face of it. And you do not let that fear and that uncertainty and that unknown control you as you deal with it. That, that will make an impact and make the rest of the world go, what do you know that I don't? I'll close by just turning your attention back to Stephen. We, we read the account of his passing and it's, it's terrible yet Beautiful. He didn't sign up to be the first Christian martyr, to die by being dragged out of the city by his coattails, quite literally, and then pummeled to death with rocks. He didn't sign up to die at the hands of, of hated, hateful, and angry people, but that's what happened. No one would want that. But in the midst of that awful thing, God kept his promise. And as his life was slipping from him, he looks up to the heavens, and what does he see? He sees the promise of Psalm 116. He sees the promise of Psalm 23. He sees his God looking at him, making it clear, I'm with you. He sees Jesus, who rose from the dead and then ascended into heaven, saying, I'm going to receive you. 
precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death with rocks hitting my body and taking my life from me, I will not fear for you. You are with me. And what does he say? Receive my spirit. I don't know how it will happen for me or for you, but I do know one thing that will be true. You will see the face of God and you will see your resurrected king welcoming you to their presence and you will be okay. You will. Death is a big deal. But for you, people of faith, let your uncertainty and your anxiety around it be sprinkled with, if not built upon a foundation of trust and peace in the goodness of God secured for you through Jesus Christ. More next week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is such a, such a large and difficult topic for us to wrestle with. And I know that there are people in our midst right now whose hearts are just deep with grief um, and, and sadness about people that they've lost or uh, filled with fear and anxiety over a diagnosis that they've been given. Uh, I know that, 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 that death is something that causes still and understandably deep pains that need to be grieved and recognized and losses that need to be mourned. But Father, through the promises of your word, may you season all of our pain and our fear with the promises that are ours in Jesus Christ. May our fear and our anxiety and even our grief hit a ceiling. Hit a ceiling that is made from the truth that we live forever with you. You are good to those in the end who know you. And that death will not get the final word. We give thanks for this in Jesus' name. Amen.